Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week on the Farcast. We have a terrific show for you tonight. Jim Urio, Dan Mahaffey, Jack Perugian. It is an all-star cast, an all-star list. Uh, please remember that on the Farcast, we believe that money is hard to make. We believe that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And we certainly believe now more than ever, really, that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. So if you're feeling excited and ebullient or if you're feeling sad and pessimistic, don't make any big investment decisions. You're just going to get yourself in trouble. Before we get to my great friend Jim Murio, an all-star from Chicago, I'd like to take a moment and just remember the great life of Senator John McCain. I've been reading so much uh, about the senator. I knew Senator McCain. I liked him very much. I found him very engaging and very kind, thoughtful, and always patriotic. Now, when you live in Washington, you get to meet politicians, uh, or sometimes it's just a consequence of living in Washington, one of those risks that we all run living in Washington. <laughs> but uh, John McCain, you know, uh, was, was one of the good ones. That was, that, that was something you were, I was always glad to see him, always glad to chat with him. Um, and as, I, as I've been reading about him, uh, I have three quotations from Senator McCain that I'd like to share with you. That I, You know, a lot of, of the things that he did and a lot of the things that he said are really worth remembering and, 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 and teaching future generations. Senator McCain said, Americans never quit. We never surrender. We never hide from history. We make history. I love that. Here's another. Glory belongs to the act of being constant to something greater than yourself to a cause, to your principles, to the people on whom you rely and who rely on you. And I think probably that one, if I didn't, if it didn't say John McCain at the end of it, I would have suspected that he had said it anyway. And then the the last quotation that I, I have for you today is, it is your character and your character alone that will make your life happy or unhappy. Love that one, too. Just wonderful words to live by from the late Senator John McCain, one of the perhaps uh, greatest patriots our country has known, and we owe him a great debt. So, uh, lots to remember with him tonight. And now, moving on, as we look at markets. Oh, my goodness. And uh, we have been making new highs. I'm joined by my friend, uh, the great Jim Urio. 30 years. Now, look, when you look at Urio on TV, by the way, he looks like he's about 29. Uh, which is just irritating as hell, Urio. By the way, I, I, I want to tell you, it's always irritated me. Uh, he, 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 I mean, he's he's been doing this as long as I have. Um, he's a managing director of TJM Institutional Services, veteran futures and options trader. I mean, the guy is the pro's pro. Um, anyway, welcome to the Farcast, Jim Urio. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. Hey, we are delighted that you are here. Really delighted that you're here. So, uh, tell me, we've been making new highs. We've got a very flat curve. We had uh, uh, Steve Mnuchin say that he thought that uh, Jay Powell is a phenomenal leader, and he's not worried about the yield curve. 
Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you worried about anything? Tell us what how you see the I'm, world. I'm always worried about something, but <laughs> I'm, I'm happier than I am most of the time. So there's three things that I thought were significant over the last week. The first started last Wednesday when the the legal news came out about Donald Trump with Cohen and Manafort, and the the S and P's lost about twenty to twenty five handles. Now, if the remember last the end of January where it was this innocuous tiny little bit of the uh, unemployment report that suggested maybe the littlest bit of um, wage-driven inflation. And because the market was on a precipice that needed to be corrected, that's when the 12% break happened. Well, if you fast-forward to last Wednesday... And if by the, the way, I loved a, that. I loved that wage inflation. That, I loved that wage inflation. Sure, I thought sure. that was but terrific. It, but it really yeah. wasn't. It, it, we found out about two days later that there was a little bit of a glitch in the figuring, and it wasn't quite there as much as we wanted it. But yeah, we wanted a little bit of wage right. inflation. I don't know if we're ever going to get it. But the point I'm trying to make is that the market had a reason to correct if it was really, really stretched on Wednesday night and chose to ignore it. By the next day, we were rallying again. Now you go to Friday when Jay Powell says that he sees no evidence of overheating yet. To me, that's a wink and a nod to, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still on the tightening path, but I'm not going to overdo it because I'm not being pushed right now. Then you throw in the, uh, the, the trade talk today. I mean, yesterday, the um, agreement with Mexico. I think that was a relatively big deal. One one in the fact that it was a win, two in the fact that it reminds people, well, it gives a little bit more confidence that perhaps we should trust in this process and that some deals are going to get done. So I like all those things. Do you think that, the, do we have enough details from, what, from the agreement with Mexico that we can be confident that something really materially has been done? No, because I don't think the point. I don't think that's the point of it. Even though Mexico, Mexico is a you know a hugely significant trading partner, I think that if it was just if it's if it's an agreement that is slightly better than one that was in place before, that's fine. I think the the implications of it are far greater. I think that one is it brings um, Canada to the table. That's what we really want. And two, it you know we're just a small distance away from these November elections. And if we can, if the press can paint it and the market can believe that Donald Trump is getting victories, that has to bode well for the election. So I think part of the market's reaction wasn't about the details of it. I think that the, the wage part of it was good, about the $16 an hour, because we've always been worried about cheap labor taking all of our jobs. But that ship has right, probably right. sailed anyway. That's nice. But I don't, think the, I don't think the details matter that much about this. And what about Canada? I mean, you know, I, I was hearing from the Business Council that they think we're going to have a deal with Canada by the end of the week. That'd be fantastic, right? And I'd love for it to happen where, where uh, Donald Trump makes it look like everybody wins and uh, we have a good deal and there's no hard feelings going forward. I'm not sure if that's possible. But if that's, if that's the case, that's great. And then we can move on to what we really wanted from this whole thing, and that is a different trade agreement with China. Everything else was just ancillary to that point, in my opinion. Okay, so you don't sound worried. I got to tell you, Jim, you sound fairly bullish. I mean, you sound like uh, you think we're going to continue to see new highs for the end of the year, yes? I do. I do think that. What I'd really love to really? see now. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, if you think about it from a broader standpoint, we've just kind of come back. I mean, we're up like a half a percent in the last seven months. We're not, you can call it stretched it's over the bad. last few months. But this has been a broader move, and now we're consolidating above these highs. I'd love to see us trade sideways for about a week or so and then gather some steam and make new highs.
Okay. So you think that the bull market's intact. You're not worried about this yield curve deal. So you, you, you agree with Steve Mnuchin. I do. And I think the yield curve was a couple different things. The yield curve going fully negative has always been a precursor and heralded the oncoming recession. Now, they might not come for two years after that's happened, but there's been four times in the last 35 years where the yield curve, twos to tens I'm talking about, has been at these levels that it's at now. One time, even in 1998, where it kind of touched negativity for one second, and then all four of those times, it turned, turned tail, went higher, and the recession never happened. So the the axiom goes that a fully negative yield curve it shows, tells us that a recession is coming. We don't have that yet as far as twos to tens go, which is the standard measure of yield curve in my mind. So I think that, that until that happens, that's fine. And two, I think that we're talking about an unprecedented level of central bank manipulation of interest rates over the last 10 years. To think that that maybe um, distorted the predictive capabilities of our yield curve, I think is perfectly reasonable. I think that there's $9.5 trillion trading a negative yield of sovereign debt around this globe. To think that our 10-year looks pretty attractive at 2.8, I think that that makes perfect sense to me. Okay. So the market rally is still intact, says my friend Jim Urio. And you're, are you, what about that Cohen and Manafort news? Did that, did that shake you up at all? I mean, the, the, that particular quotation from Cohen uh, uh, that he was uh, directed, I guess, at a, at a candidate for, for federal office, I mean, that that. that when I first read that, I mean, I had a, you know, holy crap moment. Sure, uh, sure. I, I did too. The and that's why I stayed up late that night watching the way the equities traded, and they did trade poorly. And to me, at the end of the day, I don't care what my opinion is when I look at these stories. I look at all these different markets and how they digest the news. Because in the aggregate, they're going to know more than I do. The fact that risk assets were still rallying 24 hours later, to me, meant that the market's yep. not particularly concerned with it, right? If this market has an Achilles heel, then where is it? What, where, where is the chink? Is there anything in this armor that we ought to be worried about? Funny you should ask, Michael, because I'd have a couple for you. Okay. It's the overarching that? theme of this whole year and the negative pall that's been cast upon the market is that rates are going higher. Now, you and I know that the, the beauty of that is that rates are going higher because we're in a much better economic situation than we have been any time in the last 10 years. However, if the market smacks of rates going up faster than we anticipate, one, perhaps a policy mistake that the Fed leans into quickly, or two, if ever wage inflation seems that it's starting to get out of hand and the market thinks that the Fed is being forced into raising rates, I think that could be bad for the stock market. I also think that if we have a feeling that in the November elections, a lot of non-business-friendly candidates are starting to win, I think that could fly in the face of the rally as well. So I think those two things, two and a half things, are what could sidetrack us. Jim Murio, the expert's expert, here again on the Farcast. Thank you so much, Jim. You, I mean, we get notes, we get letters that just say, can you get Urio back? So uh, awesome. uh, thank you so much. <laughs> this is terrific. Yeah, I love, I it's, it's terrific. It. I mean, you're really, well, you're, you're really good on the air, but you're so thoughtful, and I always learn something when you're on. So thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be right back with the Farcast. Please stay with us. You're listening to Farcast. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast.
There's that fabulous music. You just can't keep your feet still. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. We broadcast from the Chatter Studios in Washington, D.C., uh, up in Friendship Heights. I'm uh, remote today. Uh, even though the whole crew is in the studio, we have this very fancy equipment. I don't even know what it's called, but it's fabulous stuff. Uh, and I am in uh, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, with my finger on the pulse of the markets and all things going on in Washington. Uh, it's, uh, we're, we have, uh, we're having new carpet installed in our offices uh, and new paint we have to do this about every 10 years. So we've been in the same offices for about 21, 22 years at Farr, Miller, and Washington. So we're sprucing things up. Probably the sign of a market top if Farr's spending money on new carpet and paint. You know, it's not a, it's, it's probably worrisome. So uh, a- anyway, uh, terrific, terrific first segment with uh, Jim Urio from Chicago. Still remains bullish and a very, very bright guy and a good guy, he really is. Um, we try to do our first segment on Wall Street, and then we come into Washington, and then we try to look at world events. Coming up is Jack Berugi, and also another Wall Street veteran, going to talk to us about what he thinks is going on in the markets and around the world. It's going to be fascinating. Always, I learned so much when I talked to Jack Berugian. But our senior political analyst on the forecast is Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. He runs the policy programs. He's uh, the corporate secretary. He is um, an amazingly bright, insightful guy, has a master's degree in security studies with a concentration in U.S. defense policy from Georgetown University, also his undergraduate degree in government. Well, listen to this. With minors in history and Mandarin Chinese, he studied at East China Normal University in Shanghai. He he, he, he speaks Chinese. I mean, so smart. Welcome back, uh, Dan Mahaffey. Thanks for being here. Good to be here with you. Well, this is terrific. Uh, and, 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 you, and, and people learn so much from you, Dan. It's really terrific. So, look, um, we, we've got so much to talk about here uh, this week. Um, I listened. I listened with Jim Urio about this Mexico trade deal. Let's let's start there if we can. Uh, he was very encouraged by that trade deal, and I haven't seen real details to know whether I'm encouraged or not. Uh, are you encouraged, or have you seen I'm details, or, or or should we be? I'm encouraged that there's a sense of process, but there are a few other things in it that give me pause. Um, we've seen, you know, that. The rumors are that Canada may get on board, but there's no love lost right now uh, between Ottawa and Washington. Uh, there is the question of what exactly some of these uh, wage rulings and country of origin rules would do uh, to the supply chains that are in effect in North America. A uh, question would be, would be that would that make it more expensive uh, to produce in North America and rather than overseas, uh, which could have some unintended consequences. Um, and then beyond that, everything has to be threaded through this needle of, one, the uh, the new Mexican president taking office, uh, the fact that the trade uh, authority uh, coming up in the lame duck Congress, that's an issue there. Um, and then without the Canadians on board, we have to remember that anything that's just U.S.-Mexico is technically separate from NAFTA, uh, and as a result, it wouldn't have that fast-track authority. So that, if it became a new deal rather than a renegotiation with the Canadians on board, uh, would have to get a 60-vote threshold in the Senate rather than 50. 
give 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 me give me just two minutes on that fast track authority. Explain what that difference means for our listeners, will you? So for the uh, for these trade negotiations, Congress has the ability to hand over some of its authority to the president uh, to carry out the negotiations to fast track them so that they only need uh, simple majorities. Uh, but it largely has to stay within the uh, within the sidelines and goal lines of the existing trade package that they're renegotiating. Um, so that's why it's important to keep the Canadians on board with this, um, but also understand the political dynamic if they go uh, too far towards making it a bilateral deal, um, as well as also understanding, too, that NAFTA is in need of, of update, uh, but it's also starting to be dwarfed by some of the other trade deals that we're seeing around the world, uh, most notably the uh, European and Japanese agreement, uh, which would create the, the largest uh, trade deal. And then as someone who always adv advocated for it, I, I want to remind your listeners that we did have a very updated, modernized NAFTA. It was called the Trans-Pacific Partnership. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, all right. So what's, what's, um, what, t tell us what your read is about uh, uh, what's happened with Mexico and how it evolves with Canada. How is this going to work out? Just, just give us your best call. My call is that the Canadians will come on board. There's going to still be a lot trickier issues there with some of their protection for dairy and softwood lumber, uh, areas that he's harped on where they have very high uh, tariffs because of their own domestic politics. I think that's a challenge for President Trump in many of these negotiations is that he sometimes forgets that the other leaders have domestic politics of their own to be concerned about. Um, but beyond that, the sticking issues... Uh, if he continues to try and use the national security tariffs on steel, aluminum uh, as leverage in this, it, it reduces the already limited goodwill that he has in getting Canada on board. Uh, the Mexicans, the Mexican president had the pressure of being a lame duck, uh, although with one of the longest lame ducks that any pr elected president in the world has, uh, gave him time to yeah. negotiate this, uh, but still challenging considering that your uh, in a sense, playing chess on three different boards right now. So, uh, so you think something does get done? You think Canada comes on board? And will it be called NAFTA? The president says he doesn't want it to be called NAFTA. And does that matter? <laughs> I, I don't know if that matters. NAFTA's always been poorly branded from the get-go. You know, the, the echo of Ross Perot's a giant sucking sound has kind of endured through yes. trade politics in the U.S., uh, if we yes. come up for a new name with for it, that that's all well and good. Uh, but the president's name of a uh, the idea of making it a bilateral U.S.-Mexico agreement, as I described with the with the trade authority there, I think that's a non-starter. Um, so perhaps they can you know find some branding experts on this, uh, but I think the the proof is more in the pudding than in the name. Got it. I'm moving along. That's uh, I'm moving right along now. Uh, some Republicans. Uh, Lindsey Graham says that uh, Jeff Sessions should go. He should go because the relationship with President Trump is beyond repair. Um, I was surprised, and, and I hear that there's a, there's a little bit of a minor chorus, maybe a corral, if you will, <laughs> who are joining uh, uh, Lindsey Graham in, in suggesting that, that Sessions could go. Are you hearing more about that on the Hill? What does it mean, uh, and how do we interpret that? Well, I think the, and we can also talk about Brett Kavanaugh as well, the Republicans don't want to add another confirmation hearing to their docket in an already busy uh, pre-election, post-election lame duck period where they'd have to fit it in like that. Uh, Sessions has pushed back hard 
uh, on Trump saying that the, the Justice Department will not be influenced by politics. Uh, and the question becomes, even if Sessions is pushed out, uh, who wants to take that job? Uh, who is confirmable with that caveat there of being confirmable? Uh, because if it is now that so- Mother Teresa is dead, yes, something like it's that, and be that tough you'd to have, find somebody. That you'd have yeah. to find someone uh, almost perfect uh, to thread the needle of being sufficiently uh, deferential to the president, which is actually never a good spot to have your attorney general uh, to begin with. Uh, but then also is convinces a few of those. Uh, such as Ben Sass or uh, um, sounds like you know, you're saying are Sessions is going to stay. Sessions stays, but in this, I think this limbo continues. Um, and then the 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 five percent probability, which we don't rule out in the age of Trump anymore, uh, is some sort of recess nomination uh, when the Senate's out that he can then have whomever he wants as Attorney General. Uh, for the for the year following when Congress goes out of session at the end of the year. I've got three more things for you. I've got three more things for you. Okay, so Sessions is going to sit tight. Uh, what, I- uh, what about Brett Kavanaugh? And then I want to get to the Florida race, and then I want to ask one more about John McCain. So you've got a lot to do in about three and a half minutes. Okay, well, we'll, we'll do a bit of a lightning round on the first two. With, with Brett Kavanaugh, the, the process Kavanaugh. is moving along. Uh, what we've seen is that uh, moderate GOP senators, uh, Murkowski, Collins, uh, are satisfied with what he said on uh, Roe versus Wade being decided law. Um, not many of the other areas in his document history have really uh, stuck. The, the only thing that really stands out of all the stories, if you ask people, was when he was in credit card debt for Nats tickets, uh, which isn't so much a legal judgment as just setting yourself up for playoff disappointment. <laughs> um, and then beyond that, it's, uh, you know. No, wait, 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 wait. This is not, you know, we don't need the Chicago slights here. <laughs> yeah, no. really. I mean, you guys from Chicago who want to take shots at our Nats, I think it was a good use of money, frankly, to always uh, want to be uh, bet on the Nats there. Well, you always want Go to ahead. Be, It's the Washington networkers. You want to be there to, to meet with people. Um, so you, then you have the, uh, you have the, process he's going through, the documents, uh, you know, some controversy about what he did with the star investigation, but nothing that's really sticking to prevent. Does he get uh, in? I think he, he gets get in. in. And he, he gets in with a Supreme Court justice. He's going to be a Supreme Court justice, and he's going to probably get a few votes from folks like Manchin, uh, Donnelly, those who are red state Democrats. I don't think either of them want okay. to be the vote that gets him across the finish line, but there's enough Republicans to do that. I got to tell you, he's killing me. Uh, Now, look, I like him and I like him. I like uh, Judge Kavanaugh personally, uh, but it's killing me. He went to Georgetown Prep. It's a Jesuit (laughs) high school outside of Washington for our non-Washington listeners. I went to Gonzaga, which is the other Jesuit downtown high school. I talked to one of my Georgetown Prep friends the other day. They go, hey, remind me far. How many Supreme Court justices went to Gonzaga? Oh, Oh, right. And you, maybe you, you have a Fed chairman, don't you? Don't you have a chairman of the Federal Reserve who went to Gonzaga? No, you don't, do you? No, you don't have any Supreme Court. No, you don't have any. It's killing me. I, Kavanaugh's great, but I, 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 anyway, so it's killing me. Uh, let's move on. Tell me about the Florida Senate race, Rick Scott, Bill Nelson. 
fast because we got to get to McCain. With Rick Scott and Bill Nelson, you've got a, a challenge there. Bill Nelson has been a senator. A reporter today described him as the groundhog senator. You don't see him all that often. Uh, on the other hand, you have Rick Scott, who's the governor of Florida, has been very public-facing during the uh, various hurricanes and crises they've had there. Um, and what the wild card there is, I think you, you have a lot of spending because Florida is multiple media markets, so it's always an expensive state considering the number of cities uh, you have to cover in a statewide election. Uh, you have the issues there, of course, with um, how the Puerto Ricans who have migrated to Florida following their hurricane, uh, how they affect turnout in Democratic voting. Um, and then for Governor Scott, he does have strong approval, um, but the images we're seeing from Florida with the with the red tide uh, really raise some questions about how, as governor, he's managed Florida's waterways um, and the balance, too, of the economic priorities in Florida between agriculture and tourism, um, because the scenes of the dead fish and the red tides um, I think are really affecting a lot of the pocketbooks of people who... You sound like your call is that Bill Nelson stays. I think it's close. It, right now I'm making a too close to call call. Um, I think okay. Bill Nelson I, has I a chance Rick Scott, in this way. I like Rick Scott. I think Rick Scott, though, is the one uh, Republican who has the ability to break through a, wed a blue wave. Yeah. Um, and, yep. you know, we don't want to call his red tie. I like Rick but, Scott. But I think he's in good shape. Rick Scott is a very thoughtful, responsible guy. He's, he, he listens. He's very articulate. He's very bright. Uh, I, I will tell you that, that Rick Scott is a very bright guy, and I like him very much. So, uh, And I'm a Florida resident, so uh, I'm voting for Rick Scott if I get the, if I get the opportunity down there. So now, um, we, uh, our, our, our country lost a remarkable patriot in John McCain. Tell me, your, tell me what you're seeing there. And also, why a kerfluffle with the White House over the passing of a remarkable man. That kind of was lost on me. It seemed to be a, one of those political gifts that just didn't, what, what yeah, didn't work somehow. Never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity there. Um, and that, I think, it, it will start there, and I don't want to get into too much of the armchair psychology for your listeners, but it's just a matter of pettiness, even given how much uh, many advisors like John Kelly, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and others uh, tried to get the president to take a more cordial tone uh, following McCain's passing to, to separate politics from the personal. Um, but that doesn't happen in this White House. Um, so there was the kerfuffle over the, uh, the flag being raised or, or lowered to half staff. Um, and I think it, it just overshadowed um, really what probably Senator McCain would want us to be reflecting on, uh, which is his life. It was, you know, he would have probably had something uh, not appropriate for our listeners to say about people caring about the flag uh, going up and down. Um, but we are looking at the loss of someone who was a significant player, uh, not just in politics, but in the, the tone that America set uh, around the world and a voice in American conservatism uh, for an alternative to what we see now in the Republican Party. Um, and in looking at his leadership and his legacy, uh, one of her, one of true heroism in many ways. Um, you you see his life as a as a testament uh, to a, a pragmatism and civility uh, in many ways that this uh, this town has now lost, and that a lot in the Republican Party have lost. So it'll be interesting to see uh, who picks up his torch. Um, but I do think it was fitting as a man who uh, fought hard for for so many causes, no matter. Uh, what his odds that his favorite novel was For Whom the Bell Tolls uh, by uh, Ernest Hemingway. And I think the best quote uh, to remember John McCain by is from that novel, which is, 
that the world is a fine place and worth fighting for, and I hate very much to leave it. I think that is a fabulous place to end. Thank you for your insights. When we talk with you next week, Dan, I want to uh, ask about the replacements for Senator McCain, how it's going to change the complexion of the Senate, your opinions there and insights. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll have Dan Mahaffey back. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. We're getting to the end of our second segment here on the Farcast. We're going to come back with Jack Perugian. We're going to learn more about the markets. We're going to learn more about what's going on in the rest of the world. Stay with us. We're going to be right back on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. We are broadcasting from the lovely Chatter Studios in Washington, D.C. Fabulous Farcast for you tonight. We started, this is the all Chicago show, by the way, tonight. (laughs) We started with my great friend Jim Murio. Uh, We had Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency in Congress, our senior political analyst, discussing so many things about the Mexico trade deal and everything else going on around the world. Then uh, now segment three, where we talk about the world and Wall Street and this great intersection of Wall Street, the world and Washington. We have my friend Jack Perugian, who's the chief economist and co-founder of the Universal Compute Exchange uh, and the Indian Computer Interchange. Jack is a Wall Street wizard, a real maven. He is an expert's expert, a pro's pro. Welcome to the Farcast, Jack. Oh, Michael, my pleasure. Thank you very much. We're, 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 we're so glad to have you back. And uh, along with all of your Armenian fans and listeners who follow Jack Perugian everywhere, <laughs> send us notes. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fabulous. You have the whole mafia going, I think, here, which is just terrific. Oh, well, you know, um, between them, the Jerry and Brothers on TV and a few of the other IAMs that you see at the end, you know, it's, it's always nice. It's, it's, it's nice for a people that was supposed to be killed by the, by, by the Turks a few generations ago. That's nice. <laughs> Listen, I'm 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 really considering, you know, uh, converting. I'm thinking Farian. What do you think? Add an I A and Farian would work. Well, I could well, do that. Well, Far is, definitely... is a is a great Lebanese name. So you know, I mean, we all a lot of us know that. So so to be honest with you, you don't want to do anything to that name. Okay, well then I'll keep it. Thank God. I was a little <laughs> nervous. I thought because you know, uh, as as I. One of one of one of the uh, uh, not too polit- politic uh, fellows who works for me says, you know, I like it. It's easy to remember. It's another four-letter word that begins with F. Far. <laughs> there we go. Uh, it's it's a family show. Let's not go any further there. So, okay, Jack, give me your give me your read first on the markets and where we are now. You know, you said when you were on with us before, and I thought it was so insightful. The easy money in this bull market's been made. And, and we have been kind of going sideways, even though we're making new highs. Do you like the new highs? Are you worried? Are you excited? Is it going higher? Are you bullish? Tell us what we should be thinking. I, I think I'd be a, a lot more enthusiastic if this was happening in November instead of August. And, and I say Why? that for a couple of reasons. Because we always see the markets peak. Either they they make new lows or they make new highs right around the summer, and and I don't like the way the market's been acting, especially in the fact that you've got the dollar that's been weakening for the last two weeks. You've had these skeleton crews on, 
And the reality is that, except for these last two weeks, if you take the last two weeks out of the equation, you've had the dollar that's been going up, you've had emerging markets that have been struggling, and even yes. even our markets were struggling. It wasn't until these these last couple of weeks where the markets got very thin and we started seeing a bit of a melt-up that all of a sudden everybody started getting euphoric. And, and it, like I say, if, if it was a different time, I think I feel a little better about it, Michael. And you and I know, you, you know, you have seen conviction. We've, we've all seen conviction. And it comes at times where you see heavy volume. And when you're making new highs, uh, when you, when you see euphoria in the market, usually you want to see that coupled with, with big volume. And you want to see that, you know, coupled with huge flows and inflows of capital. We're not really seeing that. This is, this is a quiet rally. This is, this is a slow motion melt up. If I were to term it that well, way. so it's but it's but it's August, Jack, and and Polcari says so. Polcari says you can just kind of ignore almost everything that happens in August, anyway, because the real pros are out, you know, in the Hamptons and on Nantucket, and uh, and and you know, you have the kids in there who aren't allowed to put too much at stake, and it just kind of drifts on up. And then you know, we had Jim Urio uh, talking to us, and Jim said. He was really convinced of the strength of this market. And by the way, before I finish telling you this, I tend to agree with you. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm on your page, but, but just to be fair, uh, devil's advocate. Urio said, you know, last week was telling to him because when the Cohen and Manafort news came out uh, and the futures dipped and then they rallied right back, it looked like you couldn't kill this market. He thought that was a very strong sign. Does that impress you or no? Well, that's the difference between a stock trader, an equity trader that's on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, and a futures trader, all right, because that's exactly right. Both of them are right. You know, Kenny's assessment of what he saw was right, but the reaction of the futures markets were caught off guard, and that's exactly what Jimmy was talking about. You know, you know, I know Yurio and I go way back, and we've seen these markets react. The thing about futures is that they overreact. All right, so you see the pendulum swing too hard one way or the other. And, and what happened was that I think prior to those comments that we heard last week by Powell, it, it, what, we, what we really saw was a market that was, was in, you know, kind of confused, all right, uh, to be honest with you. Nobody knew where what we do were you mean? going. Tell me, tell me what do you mean confused? Well, the reality is that, you know, you're looking at a yield curve that is now pressing, uh, you know, 20 basis points. It's under 25 basis points. Right. But you're looking right. at, uh, you know, GDP that's over 4%. You've got two different tales being told. It's a bifurcated market. All right. The bond market is telling you one thing. It's telling you that there might be trouble on the horizon, that, that this is not durable, that you cannot continue that, that, that these earnings, that the, the fact is that they push these earnings forward uh, because of the tax cuts, because of repatriation, and don't look for, for year-to-year earnings growth to be the way they are. Um, that's what the bond market is telling us. The stock market is telling us that everything is rosy, everything is great, and that, you know we're probably going to see you know a, a, another a 10 to 15 year-over-year growth over the course of the next couple of years. That's where the problem is. That's where the confusion is, and that's where portfolio managers are having a hard time. And over the course of these next three months, that's where we're going to see the battle. Well, okay, so this is a classic battle, right? I mean, we've seen the bond market, you and I, in our years, we've seen the bond market and the stock guys battle before, right? We saw it in 1987. And in fact, in 1987, the bond guys really 
I, I think, tipped the scale in August and the stock guys didn't catch up until October uh, was, was my read on, on what happened in 1987. I don't think the stock guys often win this argument with the bond guys, do they? You know, you know it, it only happened one time, and it was when Rick Santelli, my good friend, and I were yelling at each other on TV over the course of a few years because I kept saying that the bonds are giving us the wrong signal, and it was because I thought that the bond market was being manipulated. And as my good friend Rick turned to me and said one day, you're absolutely right. And, and the reason was because it used to be where when we saw interest rates do what they were doing in the last few years, it would usually tell us, that you could not be in stocks. Well, over the course of these last couple of years, as we've tried to normalize, or as the Fed has tried to normalize, what we have seen, though, is that the, the dynamic has gone back to, to normal thinking. And what I mean by that is you can no longer count on the Fed to be there uh, and the rest of the central banks to be there to, to constantly bail out the world. And, and we've seen this time and time again, and the reality is that we've become used to it. So when, when they start to take the drain, you know, and, and pull the plug out of that drain, you know, everybody is surprised that it's happening, but nobody should be surprised. And Michael, you and I know okay. that. So we saw it in 87. We saw it in, in the late, in the late uh, 80s when we saw the inverted yield curve then in the early 90s. Yes. We saw it at the late 90s. Yes. We saw it in 06. Yes. Every time this has happened. Every time this has happened, it has taught me to make sure that I defend myself and become very, very careful with my positions, and especially at a time where there's nothing but euphoria on TV. Every time I turn on television, every time I go to the floor of the exchange, I hear people that are very euphoric. Every time I hear that, I start to get concerned. And, and you and I know yep. when, when everybody feels that way, there's usually a problem. There's usually a problem. So, Jack, one of the things that I uh, have been saying uh, on the air for, it feels like, 18 months or two years now, is the most important thing that investors need to pay attention to is that the Fed has changed course. Accommodation is going away. The Fed is raising rates. The Fed does not change on a dime. The Fed can pause. And, and I've been worried, Jack, that the Fed maybe have, has gotten a little bit confused about its role, too. I've, I, you know, the old Fed chairman used to always say that we're not concerned with markets. It's not our job to be concerned with markets. Our job is price stability. And then they got the job of employment. But but basically, they didn't used to be concerned. So I hope the Fed doesn't see themselves as the, as the panacea and cure-all for everything out there. But I agree with you, the Fed has changed course. The question that these stock guys are raising, though, uh, the euphoric guys are saying, wait a minute, the big bump from the tax cut far is added to earnings for 2018. But now, the money... Uh, that has been invested, uh, the savings that's been invested, which I have yet to see, is going to create and continue uh, to create growth on to 2019 and 2020. We may have a little lull where we're waiting in 2019, but don't you worry, Far. Far always worries, Jack. And Michael, you should worry. You should worry. All right. And, and I'll tell you why. Look, and we all know this. When, when, you, when you move up 
Uh, you know, the, the, the fact that you can take cap X and start writing it off right away. Uh, yeah. When you do the types of things that we have done in these tax codes, you and I know that, that it actually dresses the numbers, which is exactly what we're seeing yes, this year. And, and that's one of the reasons why whenever I hear people that, that unfortunately are a little younger than I am, and I'm in my mid-50s, so when I talk to people that are in their mid-30s and they're all excited about the numbers they're seeing, I try to tame them down a little bit and take them down a little bit. Um, and the other problem that I have, by the way, and this is something that you just touched on when you were talking about the Fed, the Fed has got a dilemma. See, you know, the, Fed is, the Fed's biggest problem is the fact that there is – there is a, a big pool of capital that is being repatriated at the same time as, as they are trying to normalize. And, and let me explain that. You know, when, when I was president of Commerce Bank uh, here in Chicago, it was back in 04, we, we had a repatriation holiday back then. And I remember getting a call yep. from our swap traders in Frankfurt saying, Jack, the demand for dollars is ridiculous. Why is this happening? And I said, it's because we just passed this new tax repatriation, this holiday. And that is exactly what is happening right now, Michael. These last two weeks, remember, you, these swap traders have been on vacation all around the world. But pay attention to what's happening to the dollar. Pay attention to what will happen over the course of the, the next few months. You've got capital. The BIS reported the first quarter of this year, $300 billion was repatriated by American corporations. Now, understand, this is not, you know, U.S. dollars sitting over the, oh, oh, abroad. No, these are, this is, these are euros. These are, this is yen that, that is actually denominated yes. in dollars. And when they repatriate it, you and I know that that swap activity actually creates a demand for dollars, which drives the price of the dollar higher, which, which is going to put a real, they're going to put handcuffs on the Fed. And over the course of these next yep. couple of months, let's see if they can actually do two more hikes. Because, you know, we see one more in September. But I, I got to tell you, if the dollar does what I think it's going to do over the course of the next few months, that December hike might be in question. Okay. So words of wisdom, ladies and gentlemen, I promise from my friend Jack Perugian. Jack and I have been uh, at this a long time. Hell, we've been on television and radio and all this stuff together. We've been doing this for 20 years easily on the air. <laughs> Jack is one of my go-to guys. Sorry, Jack. I know it makes us both a little bit. Uh, I got more white hair than you do. But anyway, uh, uh, it's, it, it, we've been doing this a long time. Uh, and we have earned the scars. I promise you that we have, uh, and at times in some very painful ways. So Jack has said, and here's where I want to go. We've got two minutes, Jack. You said when you see these signs, when you see a no-volume, melt-up euphoria, uh, you're worried, and the Fed has changed. You said you're going to get to be, you want to be defensive, and that you have to be defensive at a time like this. Tell us how to be defensive. Tell us what our listeners, Fred and Ethel at home, thinking about their investments in um, Netflix. What should they be thinking about uh, as, as, as they're think, hearing that Perugian and Farr are a little worried? You can do one of three things. If you're, if you're a little older in age, you lighten up your exposure a little bit. Take some money off the table. It's been a great run in the markets over the course of the next last couple of years. If you're a little bit more sophisticated, you could actually put some hedges on, whether it be buying some downside puts or putting some protection on, or, or buying some exposure, especially if you're if you're heavy and uh, and overexposed in one uh, asset class or the other. Uh, but but to me, and I've said this before, I think you know, like I said the last time I was on your show. 
the, the easy money is over, where you could just buy index funds and just let that money run. Now is when you need people, you know, that are professionals to be able to kind of to, to match the, the indexes, to be able to watch those benchmarks, to be able to figure out how to be able to take the money that you've made over these last couple of years and maintain that money. I, I've got a feeling that over the course of these next, say, six to 12 months, capital preservation is going to be the question as opposed to how to make money. And 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 to be honest with you, Michael, it's going to be one of those things where it's going to happen very quickly. And, and you and I know that because, you know, the, 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 the way the market flips, it goes from that euphoria to fear in a heartbeat. Yes, it does. And, 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 yes, and it for does. me, it's more a question of being prepared and being in a position to be able to capitalize in the event that everybody else is afraid. I want to be able to be euphoric at that time. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Jack Berugian. Thank you so much for joining us on the Farcast. You learn if you listen to Jack, and Jack says be cautious. One of the things I've taught my children, Jack, too, was I can always apologize for being overcautious. I can always come back to you and say, geez, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't take enough risk. I was too careful. Uh, I got on the plane when I heard Dad was in the hospital, and Dad turned out to be fine. I can always apologize for that. I can't apologize for not getting on the plane. I can't apologize for not being cautious enough. So uh, that's Far's word of advice to Jack. Thank you for being with us on the Farcast. Thank you. My pleasure, Michael. Anytime. Okay, pal. We'll talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us again on the Farcast. Remember that if you think you heard any recommendation to buy or sell any security here on the Farcast, you did not. If you're thinking about a change to your portfolio, please don't make any changes until you talk with a financial professional and advisor or give us a call at Far Miller and Washington, farmiller.com. I have a great group of wonderful people at hand to help you. And before we leave you until next week, I'm going to give you just a couple of more words from Senator John McCain. And here he said, Senator McCain said, nothing in life is more liberating than to fight for a cause cause larger than yourself, something that encompasses you, but is not defined by your existence alone. Senator McCain certainly did that. That came from a family memoir that he titled Faith of My Fathers, an inspirational man. And remember finally that he said, Americans never quit. We never surrender. We never hide from history. We make history. Thank you, Senator McCain, for a life very well lived uh, in service to your country and fellow man. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening again. In Washington, D.C., for the Farcast, I'm Michael Farr.